Thanks. Can you help me thank our band um, and our worship team for leading us in worship? Thank you, guys. Good morning again, Sanctuary. Uh, my name is Edrin, one of the pastors here. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, get to know you, I do look forward to having that opportunity um, in the near future. Um, we want to take a moment again and welcome you into our worship experience today. Um, fall is here. Cold weather is here. It's hoodie season. All that good stuff. Um, for some people, pumpkin spice lattes. We're going to pray for y'all if you drink that stuff. God is not pleased with those things. Uh, he told me so himself. Uh, we we <laughs> don't quote me on that. I'm just messing around. I'm just messing around. We we we're so excited to just be able to uh, laugh in church and um, to open God's word together. We have been over the last several weeks in a series called "Generous God, Generous People." Um, and today we're uh, wrapping up that series, and um, I'm excited to, to be able to share a little bit um, more about this idea of generosity. Um, let's, let's pray, and then uh, we can open God's Word together. Father, thank you for every expression of your generosity towards us, that you have called us your own, your sons and daughters, and given us everything that we need for this life. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave us life eternal by dying on a cross for our sins. We are grateful, God, that we, in the same way that we have been invited into your family, get to invite others into your family. And so as we look at this word together today, I pray, God, that your people would be encouraged, be reminded of who you are, that we would be inspired to go out into the world in a way that honors you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want, if you have Bibles, uh, I want to invite you to open them up to Isaiah 25. Um, this will also appear on the screen, um, but we would encourage you, if you can, whenever possible, to bring your Bible with you as well. Um, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through Nine, we'll read in the NIV. And here's what it says On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God, and we, we trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Several weeks ago, we kicked off this series, uh, Generous, God, Generous God, excuse me, Generous God, Generous People. And in that kickoff, I tried to encourage us and remind us that God is generous. 
And because God is generous and we are created in God's image, we are generous too. The encouragement for us was to let's learn to be generous together. In our life together as a church, let's learn what it means to be generous together. We talked about financial giving, and we talked about the way in which the early church who gave generously, they gave generously because it was a testament to the fellowship that they had with God and with one another. We talked, Pastor Rose shared about the generosity of emotional support, and she talked about the death of Lazarus and the way that Jesus cared deeply and gave us a model for how to be generous with our assumptions, our empathy, and even with ourselves. Last week, Tara shared from the story of the Good Samaritan who risked his own comfort and safety, crossing cultural lines to care for someone in need. And today we want to examine the fifth expression of generosity, which is hospitality. Hospitality, we're defining it as the act of hosting through invitation or introduction. When we talk about hospitality, we're talking about genuinely greeting and welcoming others, strangers, and acquaintances. So we're not just simply talking about getting together with people you like, although that is important. Hospitality, especially biblical hospitality, also means welcoming and greeting strangers. There are a number of ways that this hospitality might look. It might look like helping others feel welcomed and connected in social settings. It might mean striving to ensure that others know they are valued and appreciated. It might mean inviting others into the conversation when it seems that they can't even get a word in. It might mean suspending judgment over differences. And it might mean offering your home to others as a place to gather. A few years ago, I shared um, in one of our messages about my grandmother's Sunday dinner table and about the ways in which that taught me what it meant to be a hospitable person. Now, my grandmother was, I believe, one of the five best cooks in the entire world of all times. Get my Kanye West on this morning. Of all times. And my grandmother, every Sunday, she never missed church. But without fail, every Sunday, she laid out an incredible Sunday dinner, dinner table where we uh, all gathered as a family to share incredible food, conversation, and grow together. But as I think about it more, there was hardly ever a time when my grandmother laid out that table when there was not somebody at that table that I did not know. Somebody that she or my grandfather had met throughout the week at the bank or at the grocery store, at a gas station, broken down on the side of the road, and somehow she knew it was important to invite that person to her Sunday dinner table. My grandmother taught me about hospitality. And Barner's research says that about 12% of all the population in the U.S. have hospitality as the most natural way for them to express generosity. They said they rather express hospitality than give money. It's more natural for them to express hospitality than to even give gifts or to serve others. And more than any other expression, those folks express their generosity through openness, unqualified acceptance, through kindness, especially showing those things to strangers. The research also goes on to say that millennials and Gen Xers are the most naturally hospitable. 
Now, this is important for us here at Sanctuary because a large portion of our church are millennials and Gen Xers. One of the blessings over the last few years I've had at this church is to serve as one of the staff representatives for our young adults, to work alongside them, to do ministry, and to counsel them, and to pray with them, and walk with them through life. And they have taught me about hospitality. Our young adults might not do a number of things, and you, you heard people criticize millennials all the time, but nobody can criticize millennials when it comes to hospitality. They get it. They, they might not show up where you want them to, but they will gather for meals. They might not vote the way you want them to, but they will take care of strangers. And they might not even be here this morning because some of them were out last night meeting strangers. <laughs> not like that. That's a little bit too hospitable. That's not what we're going for. But our young adults, millennials, it is very natural for them to get to know people who are different. And when they are exposed to those differences, they don't have the tendency that many of us have, which is to run away from people who are different. I'm grateful for my grandmother and what she has taught me about hospitality. I'm grateful for our young adults here at Sanctuary and what they have taught me about hospitality. But the truth is that generosity and, and generous hospitality didn't begin with my grandmother or with our young adults. If you know me, you know where I'm going. Generosity and hospitality begins with God. All throughout the scriptures, we see hospitality lived out. That act of showing friendship to a stranger and receiving others and moving them from a place of stranger to guest to family. That's what hospitality is all about. The book of Job, which is believed to be one of the earliest Old Testament books written, offers us a snapshot of hospitality. Job chapter 31, beginning with verse 16, says this. Job is, you know, he's struggling. And a friend of his has come and said to him, Job, all of your struggles are because you did not take care of the people around you. Job, in trying to make sense of his struggles, says this. He asks the question, have I ignored the needs of the poor? Turned my back on the indigent, taking care of my own needs and fed my own face while they languished. Wasn't my home always open to them? And weren't they always welcomed at the table? Have I ever left the poor family shivering in the cold when they had no warm clothes? Didn't the poor bless me when they saw me coming, knowing I'd brought coats from my own closet? In trying to make sense of his struggles, Job points to a picture of hospitality and says, I don't deserve what I'm going through because I've always cared for the strangers. The book of Isaiah chapter 58 says us, tells us even more about hospitality and says that hospitality is to be regarded even more pleasing to God than fasting. Brothers and sisters, hospitality was viewed as a byproduct of piety to God. It was one of the ways in which God's, our love for God was expressed. If you loved God, it was understood that you would show care and concern to strangers. This was also woven into the nature and the culture of the early church. Hebrews 13 and 2 
tells us that the early believers were encouraged to always show hospitality because they were told that if you did it, you would often be caring for angels without even knowing it. And one of the most popular passages in all of the New Testament, Matthew 25, is all about hospitality. Here's what Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40 says. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for any of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Friends, Jesus took hospitality seriously. And we are called to take hospitality seriously as well. And in our text for this morning, the text that I've already read, we are reminded of the ways in which hospitality is important, not just in ancient times, but it's critically important for us in the life of our church today. Let's look again to Isaiah 25, beginning with verse 6. Here's what God's Word says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep that covers all nations, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Three reminders about hospitality today as we seek to be hospitable people as a church together. The first reminder is simply that hospitality is mission. Hospitality is mission. Verse 6 says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Israel's redemption was intended to be a part of God's larger redemptive plan. It was never intended for them to solely be just a special people and God's only people. And that truth is illustrated for us here in verse 6 when we are told through very three simple words, for all people. In Isaiah's prophecy, God sets the table. God sends out personalized invitations, and it helps us to see whom God values and whom God is for. 
And as we live out our identity as a church community, hospitality is one way that this multi-ethnic movement of people can begin to practically walk it out and walk it like we talk it. Come on, you guys listen to the Migos. Come on. Let's keep it real this morning. Here at Sanctuary, we are striving to be reconciling people. We are striving to live out our mission and vision. And the words that we have decided would be our mission and vision are beautiful, poetic words. But many times we struggle to know what it means to actually live it out. If you're new here, here's a reminder of what our mission and vision are as Sanctuary. The vision of Sanctuary is to be an urban, multi-ethnic, multiplying movement, reconciling people to God and one another. When you think of the snapshot, the picture of what we're going for as a church, this is it, that we want to be urban, that we want to be multi-ethnic, that we want to be a disciple-making movement, a movement where we make disciples who go on to make disciples who will go on to make other disciples. We want to join God in the work of reconciling people to God and to one another. The relationship that has been broken between God and man We want to be involved in restoring that relationship. And all of the broken relationships that exist between people groups in the world, we want to be a part of restoring those relationships. And so if you've ever struggled to understand what we're going for as a church, this is who we are striving to be, an urban, multi-ethnic, multiplying movement, reconciling people to God and one another. How will we do that? We want to do that by making and developing followers of Jesus who continually study and practice God's word. We want to worship together with our whole lives. We want to cultivate loving relationships across race, economic status, gender, or any other potential barrier. We want to help to spread the good news of Jesus in word and also in deeds of compassion, mercy, and justice. We are biblical. We are devotional. We are connectional. and We are missional. That is who we are striving to be as a church. And I'm here to tell you this morning that hospitality can help us be who we want to be as a church. Every now and then, we talk about potlucks as a church. And Tara, our youth pastor, and I, whenever the word potluck is mentioned, we roll our eyes. Because not all potluck dishes are created equal. (laughs) But the more I think about potlucks, and perhaps the older I get, I realize that bad food is still food. I'm not talking about your dish. I'm talking about somebody else's dish. Don't get offended. And even if I don't eat everything on the table, I'm grateful that we're a church that has a very diverse table. I'm grateful that anytime we have a potluck as a church, you will see some collard greens. You will see Costco kale salad. You might see some kimchi. You might see cornbread. You might see King's Hawaiian rolls. 
You might see some tortillas. You might see fry bread. You will see lettuce wraps. That's guaranteed. And I, I won't eat all of it. But I'm glad we all have it. Because we live in a world that will not settle just for any one of those things. And we need the people groups that bring all those things in order for us to live out that mission and vision that we talked about. If, if you're listening to me and you know my heart, it has nothing to do with food. I'm saying our mission and vision requires a diverse group of people who will come together, learn to respect and love one another, and then go into the world to draw people into relationship with Jesus. The world is crazy. Did you look at TV this week? And we need all of us, as diverse as we are, as different as we are, we need each other for the sake of helping the world see that there is a God who loves us and is able to draw all of us into relationship with him and with one another. And so I want to encourage you to keep coming. Bring your kale salad, bring your cornbread, your fry bread, your lettuce wraps, whatever you have, come and continue to be a part of the sanctuary and come and let's figure out together what it means to be a hospitable people to one another first, but then also to the world who desperately needs to hear of God's love. So pray for me in my eye rolls when I hear the word potluck. Because hospitality really is a part of our mission. Not only is hospitality mission, hospitality is also resistance. That's our second point today. Hospitality is resistance. It is resistance against our own brokenness, and it's resistance against the brokenness of the world. Isaiah 25, verse 7 through 8 says this, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Hospitality is a lot deeper than just cucumber sandwiches. When, when most of us hear hospitality, we think of tea parties. And we're like, I'm not called to that. But hospitality is actually a tool for doing justice. Hospitality is a working lunch. Hospitality is fighting back against the internal and external forces that get in the way of God's shalom, God's peace. And shalom is far more than just peace. When we talk about shalom, we're talking about everything being perfectly as God intended it to be. And hospitality is a way of moving towards God's shaloms by resisting. Hospitality helps us resist self-pity, which says, I don't have anything to give. It helps us resist selfishness, which says, if I bless others, I won't have anything left for me. It helps us resist self-preservation, which says, looking out for myself is the only chance I have at survival. And not only does it resist the internal, it resists the broken systems of this world. Hospitality resists the lie that the lies of capitalism and reminds us that our self-worth is in no way connected to our net worth. 
And I don't know who needs to hear that encouragement the most, the rich or the poor or all of us in between somewhere. Your net worth and your self-worth are not the same thing. Hospitality helps us to remember that. Hospitality resists the very natural tendency that we see increasingly in this nation, which is to see others as, who are different than you as your enemies. Hospitality very clearly says to us, stop building walls and start building tables. Hospitality resists all the isms of this world. It creates space for the poor, the battered, and the oppressed to share their stories, to be heard, to be believed, and it creates space for justice to roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Somebody wasn't listening. Let me say that again. Hospitality resists the isms of this world. When we are hospitable, we are creating space for the poor, the battered, the abused, and the oppressed to share their stories, to be heard, to be believed, and for justice to take place. This world desperately needs hospitality. This week, this nation desperately needed our hospitality. And as people continue to struggle and feel as if the darkness is winning, we can resist that by something that seems simple and weak and foolish. But isn't it the way of Jesus to always take the weak and foolish things and confound the strong and the wise? Hospitality is so much more than a couple of pimento cheese sandwiches. Hospitality is about resistance. The last thing I'll share about hospitality today is that it sets the table for salvation. It sets the table for salvation. Here's what Isaiah says in chapter 25, verse 9. He says, In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to a people who are hurting, who are no doubt disillusioned, and he paints a picture for them and for us of salvation. Isaiah suggests to them, and I believe to us today, that hospitality and salvation go hand in hand. Hospitality is extending grace from one party to another and moving them from stranger to guest and from guest to a a member of the family of God. Hospitality is so much more than a meal. It is our willingness to invite someone in for a meal, but also being willing to invite Jesus into the mix as well. It's about helping someone go from stranger to to neighbor, to member of the family. And if you have forgotten this morning, there is a gospel reminder for us right here in the book of Isaiah. At one time, you and I, all of us, regardless of who you are in this room and where you come from, at one time, we were all far off from God. 
We were alienated from God by our sins and by our fleshly desires. The the Apostle Paul uses this language. We were dead in our transgressions. We were enemies of God. But God, in his grace, drew near to us. And he didn't just come closer to us so that he can say we're together. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh, and he came near us so that he might save us. He didn't send a fax and say, let my people go. He didn't send a text and said, let them go. Jesus came, left his place in heaven, went to a cross on our behalf, and we who were once far off from God have been made right with him because Jesus went to a cross on our behalf. He came and he set a table for us. The 23rd Psalm reminds us in the presence of of our enemies. And all of us who believe in him are saved because he came and prepared that table on our behalf. In the church that I grew up, that small little Baptist church in the low country of South Carolina, our pastor would often say, come over here where the table is spread. Feast of the Lord is going on. We're going to drink, drink from the fountain that will never, ever run dry. We're going to shout, shout hallelujah, by and by, by and by. That's hospitality, that God has created a table for us and our brokenness that we might come and sit with him and be healed and restored. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. And even for a quiet church, you ought to be able to say amen to that. The good news, though, is The hospitality didn't end with God. He sent Jesus to prepare the table for us. And today he is sending us to set the table for somebody else. That's what this series has been all about. Some folks thought it was just about money. I know. (laughs) But it was about so much more than money. All of our generosity, regardless of what form it takes, is about creating a table so that the lost can be found, the lonely can find community, and that the broken can be healed by the blood of Jesus. We began a couple weeks ago reminding you that generosity matters because it affected everything, not just in your life, not just in our church, but in the world. You may recall I shared that I believe wholeheartedly that the generosity of the church mattered because the church has the potential to change the entire world. I feel even stronger about that today. And as we close out our series today, I want to share some highlights from the generosity survey that we took part in over the last month. We invited all of you to take part in the generosity survey, and about 130 people took the eight minutes to take the survey, and here's what it told us about our congregation. The first thing it told us is that we value generosity. If we can throw that first image up, I want you to pay attention to the first two red lines up top. The question was, how important is generosity to you? The first line says, extremely important, and about 52% of you said yes to that. About 41% of you said yes to it being very important. 
Friends, so 93% of those who took the survey says that generosity is extremely to very important to us. Have you ever tried to get 93% of people to agree to anything? There's an expression that says what you focus on, you feel. What you value, you invest in. I want to encourage us as a church, after we have said that generosity matters to us, I want to challenge us to express that. Regardless of how you express your generosity, I want you to feel generosity. I want you to invest in generosity. I want you to give towards the generosity of this church every day, both on Sundays but all throughout the week, here at church but also in your workplace and in your neighborhood, also in your life. I want to challenge you to continue to prioritize generosity. Continue to giving to others because it is important to growing the kingdom of God. Here's the second thing that the survey showed us, that we are a diverse people and we have diverse expressions of generosity. The first really tall blue line there is for emotional support. We were not surprised to see that was the most prominent and natural way that most of us express our generosity. But all the others, we had a fair representation there but room to grow. Pastor Rose encouraged us a few weeks to continue to be generous with our assumptions and in our capacity to empathize with one another. Emotional support is a hallmark of sanctuary. It's a part of who we are. And I think we should give ourselves a round of applause that we are a church that is emotionally supportive of one another. That doesn't happen in every church. And so I want us to celebrate who we are, but I also want to challenge us to continue to grow in all the other expressions of generosity as well. Here's the third thing that the survey showed us, that you believe that we have much room to grow. When asked how satisfied we were with our generosity, our current level of generosity, uh, what, what I love about the data is that we said we are hungry for more. Only 13% of you said you're already extremely satisfied with your level of generosity. That says the other 87% of us believe there's room for us to grow. There's more that can be done. There is more that can be done for the kingdom. I know you, and I know that you have said this, and I believe that you mean it. And so I want to challenge us. As we move towards the end of 2018 to set tangible goals of expressing all the other expressions of generosity, increasing our financial giving, serving and volunteering, beginning a practice of hospitality, and even giving gifts. Perhaps you're here today and you need help setting a goal. I want to invite you, if that's you, if you want to grow in generosity and you're not sure how, to stop by our welcome desk. Give Amy your info. One of our pastors would love to connect with you and help you develop a plan for finishing this year well. Generosity matters because it connects us to mission. Generosity matters just like hospitality because it is resistance. Generosity matters because it's ultimately about saving people, connecting people to a loving God who wants to grow in relationship with them. Today, 
as we conclude our service, we have the opportunity together to celebrate one of the most meaningful practices for me in the life of the church. We've already said that hospitality is about salvation. And every month, sometimes twice a month, we go through a practice that helps us to remember that we have been invited. I've heard stories over the last several weeks from my sisters and also from brothers of the pain and the cloudiness that you've experienced just as our society seems to be struggling, as evil seems to be winning. But when struggle comes in the midst of hard times, it's good to remember that you have been invited, that you are loved, you are cared for, and that there is a God who is not asleep. In fact, the Word of God says he neither, he neither sleeps nor slumbers. And God is just. And all the things that seem wrong in our world right now, the good news is, the gospel message is that God is at work making all things new. And so we come to the communion table, not simply to eat some bread and drink some juice, but to remember together that God is at work. He's at work undoing the brokenness in our hearts, and he is at work undoing the brokenness in this world. Isaiah reminds us that there is a banquet coming, a great banquet, when the people of God will gather together and share in a feast that a loving God has prepared for us. And so as you're going about your week and you struggle to figure out which way is up, I want to invite you to remember these words from the prophet Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for all people, a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all eyes. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are a generous God, a loving God who invites us over and over and over again 
to your table. God, I pray that today your people will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with us and for us. God, as we celebrate the communion today, we pray that you would meet us there. You are the bread of life. Those who eat of you hunger no more. You are the living water. And all who are thirsty can come and drink of you. Father, that's good news to us. And so we thank you that you first loved us. Be with us today in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want to invite Pastor Mike to uh, give us a few details.